Good morning again. It's good to see you. As you know, we are in a series called Hidden, where we are looking at obscure characters in the scriptures and how they led hidden lives. And over the last several weeks, we have looked at characters that have embodied what it means to be rooted and grounded in God and in the scriptures. We've looked at characters who exhibited loyalty, ones that have talked about or lived out subversiveness to authority. We last week looked at this idea of an incredible awe of God, an amazement, a wonder at who he is and how that awe leads us to be people of shalom, peace, wholeness, fullness. This morning, we are going to look at generosity. And as we come to the text this morning, what I would love for you to do is to read it with a little bit of imagination. So I think a lot of times when we come to the scriptures, we come to them pretty stoically. We imagine the characters as Bible characters, but we don't necessarily imagine them as real people, people like ourselves, people that experience pain and despair, people that have hope and joy, people filled with grief and wonder, and people who have no idea what the next day will bring. That is how we live our everyday lives, and these characters in the scriptures live their lives in the exact same way, and yet sometimes we flatten the text and feel as if there's no emotion in it. So I want us to read it with a little bit of imagination. I would love for you to put yourself into the story and specifically to think of yourself as the woman in the story. The text reads this way. We're reading out of 1 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, put yourself in her situation. Her husband has passed. She's a widow, she's alone. It's just her and her child. And she is in the midst of a worldwide, or at least area-wide, famine. No ability to do anything about it on her own, no ability to resolve the situation. She is down to her final meal. She has accepted her fate. She believes with absolute certainty that this will be the last meal she eats, and then she will either pass or she will take her life after watching her child pass. And it is into this scenario with that woman feeling those emotions that then Elijah says this. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. 
<clears throat> but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, <clears throat> still imagine yourself in that situation. You've just declared to this prophet, a prophet that, by the way, you don't necessarily believe in because you're not a follower of God in this particular story, and you say to that prophet, hey, listen, this is going to be my last meal. He says, well, before you make that last meal for yourself, just make it for me instead. Okay, and then just trust me. Don't just trust me, actually. Trust God because God is saying to you that whatever you make will be reproduced in a way that you can keep eating and I can keep eating until it rains again. Now, that's the choice that you're faced with. Do I make my final meal and then perish or do I entrust the last thing that I own, my last meal, to someone else with the hopes that God will come through. Now these stories, what I love about Old Testament stories is they present us with questions. They force us to ask, what would you do in that situation? How would you respond? What would you have said? If this was the situation you were in, how would you respond? And this woman, what I love about this woman in the story is that she is unnamed and unknown. All that the Bible speaks of her is just simply that she's a widow. We know nothing else about this woman. Her life is definitely categorized as what we would call a hidden life, a life that is unknown and yet is doing some amazing things. This woman is marginalized, forgotten by society, left alone to perish, and then is confronted with a choice. And her choice reverberates throughout history. Here's what I mean by that. We're kind of jumping to the end of the story, and then we'll come back and fill it in. Jesus gets on the scene. So we have fast-forwarded quite a bit. Now we are in a section that Luke chapter 4 describes for us. Jesus has lived his life up to this time. He wants to declare that he's about to do like public ministry. And so he walks into the temple. The text tells us that he grabs the scroll, opens the scroll to Isaiah, and then he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then the text tells us that he rolls it back up, sits down. The people are all amazed, and then he stands back up and says to them, basically, yes, it's me. I'm God. I'm here. This is what I'm going to do. And then finishes with this. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time 
when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the, the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow. Isn't that amazing? Sent to a widow. So this unknown, forgotten kind of lady who is just classified as a widow and nothing more shows up in the first sermon that Jesus ever gives. He acknowledges this moment that would have gone hidden and never described, and he brings it to the forefront. And so this week I've been considering how does this woman's story kind of relate to our story? Is there some principles or some ideas that we can pull from the text that might help us to understand what it means to live a life of generosity. And so I want to consider her story and how it might resonate with our story. But before we get into that, I want to tell you another story. I, uh, before I moved here, most of you know, I lived for a while in my wife's hometown, which is in Indiana. And this is a picture of Daryl and Leslie. Uh, Daryl was one of my best friends in Indiana. Um, they, as a couple, are incredible, amazing people. And I would say that a majority of what I know and believe and practice as it relates to generosity is a direct result of those two. The way they lived their life, uh, the actions that they took, the way they spoke of generosity um, was so motivating to me. So I want to tell you a story. This, uh, I remember, happened. Uh, this was probably now about 25 years ago, um, maybe a little less than that. Uh, Daryl, good friend, he walks into a store. It was a sports store, very similar to maybe out here like a sports authority or something like that. He's just there to get something that he needs for himself, not really um, in a hurry, but is going, walking through the store, and he comes across this section in the store where there are shoes laid out that are on sale. It was, uh, if you've been in the stores before where they put just kind of random tables in the middle of the store so that people kind of run into it, and it's a bunch of tennis shoes, all different varieties. And there's uh, probably three or four tables with shoes two or three boxes high, and he walks back there and he starts to look at the shoes for a moment and then like the generosity bell goes off in his mind. And he's like, oh man, I wonder what we could do with this. And so he calls the uh, store person over that's close by and the guy's like, hey, can I help you with shoes? And he's like, yes, I have a question though, but I need the manager. So they run to the back, they get the manager and uh, he says to the manager, yes, I would like help with the shoes. And the guy goes, okay, um, I mean, this guy could have helped you too. Why did you need me? And he's like, well, I don't just want to get one. I want to get a few of them. And he's like, okay, well, how many? And he's like, well, let me first ask this question. How many of these shoes do you have in the back? Like, this is, is this all of them or do you have more? And the guy said, well, I have about double. So the same amount here I also have in the back. And the guy goes, or then Daryl goes, okay, um, yeah, I'll take it. And he goes, what do you mean you'll take it? And he said, well, here's the deal. I would like to buy all of these, and I would like to buy all of the ones in the back, but I don't want it at 50%. I want it at 65% off. So the guy goes, you're going to have to give me a minute. He goes to the back, kind of does the math, the calculus, or whatever's needed, comes back out and says, you'll seriously right now 
buy every pair of the on-sale shoes for 65% off. And he's like, yes, right now I will buy it. And the guy goes, fine, do it. So Daryl then loads him up, um, takes a couple trips, loads him up, drives to his house, pulls his cars out of his garage, and then all around the garage lines boxes of shoes four or five high the entirety of his garage. And then he calls me and he says, hey, I want you and Shannon to come over right now. I need, I need to see you. So I go running over to his house and I said, what, what, do you, what do you need? What's going on? And he said, uh, I know you guys need a pair of shoes and so what I'd like you to do is to find your size. And he had stacked them all by size. Um, guys shoes over here, girls shoes over here, and he said, just get whatever you want. And I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, so I go over, I start looking, I'm trying on a couple pairs, another couple comes, another couple comes, another couple comes, more people, some teens from the church, more and more people just keep coming. He gets done, everybody leaves with their pair of shoes. He boxes up the rest of the shoes, to send to a Bible college in Argentina. He calls the director down there and says, got another 150 shoes coming your way. I want everyone in the college to have a pair of shoes as long as they fit, right? All of these kids are kids that Argentine born, very low income, and he said, I want every single one of them to have a pair of shoes. Now, the best part of the story for me is this. He had recently gotten some glasses, had not been used to his glasses. He had then um, taken them off at one point, set them on top of one of the boxes, was going and loading up other boxes. Somebody came by, started taping the boxes closed, and taped his glasses inside. He had no idea, wasn't thinking about his glasses, hadn't been wearing them very often. The boxes get shipped to Argentina. The director cannot wait because he wants to surprise all of the students. It arrives in the office, he opens the first one, and on top is a pair of glasses. He picks up the glasses, puts them on, no kidding, perfect prescription, okay? He had been praying for a month for a pair of glasses. And he's like, I don't know where I'm gonna get glasses and I can't even get an eye appointment. Puts it on, sees everything perfectly clear. Calls Daryl, shoes arrived, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to give them to the kids, it's gonna be amazing. But I wanted to just say, first of all, thank you so much. I don't know how you knew, but those glasses, they were perfect. Perfect fit, it was amazing. And Daryl's like, I've been looking for them for the last week. He didn't say that on the phone. He was like, yes, absolutely, God knew, totally. That's exactly what I intended, and yet, realized that not only was God doing a miracle, he just continued to do a miracle. And every one of those kids was incredibly blessed. I tell you that story kind of as a backstory, and it'll make more uh, sense hopefully in a moment. So the text, I think, tells us a few principles that we can draw from this woman to give us a sense of what it means to live a hidden life of generosity. The first one is this. The text says, do not fear. Elijah presents her with this opportunity, and then he says, do not fear. She's prepared to cook her last meal. She's prepared to die. And his command or his reminder is, do not fear. 
I mean, that seems a bit preposterous. It seems like, Elijah, come on. Like, this, if, if any woman should be fearing, if anybody should be tight-fisted in this moment, it would be her. And yet you're telling her in that moment not to fear. And I think here's the important reminder. Christian generosity is always a response to faith. Always. Paul describes it this way. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, not a weightlifting illustration, but more of a like contentment idea, right? Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the key phrase in there when he's describing the generosity of this church to him to extend the mission that he's on, the key phrase he ends with is, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now this is the part where faith comes in. This is the part where you really have to ask yourself the question, do I believe that to be true or not? Is that really something I would believe? And I think it's important to not divorce this promise from its context. This is not just like an unconditional, God will always supply your need all the time, no matter what. It is a promise to those being generous. So it's saying in your generosity, in your giving, in your extending of yourself, if you give, it will return in the sense that your needs will be supplied. So it's a matter of trust. But I think it begs the question, if and when I give, if I really trust in this moment, will God come through on his end of the bargain? Will he absolutely supply my needs? Now, I told you the story of Daryl earlier to tell you that Daryl was known as incredibly generous. A guy who would meet a need whenever he could, was constantly looking for opportunities to be giving. And because of that um, kind of reputation, there was a particular man that came up to him at one point and said, uh, Daryl, I've got a quick question. Can you come here? And pulled him aside. And he said, uh, I know this lady. She lives just kind of down the street from me. And uh, her refrigerator just broke. And uh, she has no money to replace it. Um, it's going to be a really difficult situation for her. She has... Uh, the food's going to go bad. It's, it's not good. And he said, uh, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. I've continued to think about this woman again and again and again. And uh, it just happened a, a day or two ago, and I just can't get her out of my mind. And so 
I started to research and I realized that we could probably get almost an exact replacement for about $500 to $600. And so I'm coming to ask, would you give five or $600 so that this woman could have her refrigerator replaced? And Daryl said, man, that is a, that's a fantastic question. Yes, I think I'm, we absolutely should meet the need. And the guy was like, yeah, that, oh, oh man, that's what I was hoping. And he said, so um, here's, here's the only question I have. Um, I didn't know about the need. You did. It wasn't on my heart to meet this need, but you can't stop thinking about it. So I just have one question for you. Do you have $500? And the man said, I, I, um, no, I don't. And he goes, you don't. Are you in need? Can I, do I need to help you? Do you? Or do you have $500 somewhere? And he's like, well, I mean, I, we, we do have $500, um, but I don't have $500 to spend on a refrigerator. You know, I've, I've been trying to just kind of set that money aside. And so uh, Daryl said, no, that's great. Uh, maybe God has had you slowly set that money aside just for this exact moment because he knew in this moment you would have $500. He knew this woman would need it and he knew you could meet the need. So this seems like a perfect situation for you. And so the man said, well, I, uh, if, I, if I get the refrigerator and I give it to her, then, then what? What happens if my car breaks down or what happens if I can't uh, pay a bill or what happens if I lose my job or what? And he Daryl said, no, those are all good and honest questions. And I think what you have to ask yourself is, do you think God will honor your generosity? Do you believe that he will supply your need? And the guy just stood there for a second, unsure. And Daryl said, okay, I'll make you a deal. Here's the deal. You're going to go home. You're going to take that $500 out. You're going to go. You're going to buy a refrigerator. You're going to walk up to her. You're going to give her the refrigerator, and you're going to tell her that God placed it on your heart to meet that need. And I will do this. If at any point in the next month, two months, three months, whenever, God doesn't follow through and meet your need because you were generous, you came up short, I need you to come back to me, and I need you to tell me that God didn't follow through on his promise. And as soon as you tell me that, I will pull out my checkbook, I will write you a check for $500 and give it to you. Because I believe that I will be your backup plan and because I know that my backup plan is the one who owns everything. So because I know my generosity will result in him meeting my need, I got no problem giving you $500. So just come back, let me know, and I will meet your need because you met that need. And so the guy did. And hopefully... The goal in Daryl's mind, obviously, was to begin to start this process of saying, do not fear. Generosity can flow from us without fear. That we can walk into situations and meet needs because God has promised that he will meet ours. So whatever thing right now you know you could be generous in, but you have a bit of hesitation, a bit of fear, a bit of concern... What God is reminding us of this morning through that particular widow is that whatever amount of generosity you give, God will meet your need. And oftentimes does so with a rich generosity himself. Which leads us to the second 
principle I think we can draw from this story. Elijah starts off and he says, do not fear, and then he says, but first, but first. I think the idea of but first is the next principle of generosity. What I mean by that is generosity is something that can be both spontaneous, kind of like uh, Daryl going out and getting shoes, or it could be something structured, something planned, something that we've thought through. And uh, often, uh, as a pastor, I have the privilege of being able to be an intermediary between two groups of people. And what I mean by that is sometimes a couple, an individual will come to me and say, I know there's a need, and this particular couple has a need, or this particular person has a need, and I would like to give you something to meet that need so that you can anonymously go to that person and give it to that person so it's not traced back to me. One of the things I enjoy the most about my job, if I'm honest, right? Because I get to go and see the reaction. I get to go and kind of like participate in that moment. And then I get to remind the person that you don't need to worry about who it's from because it's from God. It's so clear. God is asking this person to meet your need and he wants to meet it through the generous care of a community and you get to be the recipient of it. So all you have to do is just accept it with grace. And it's a cool moment. I remember one such time, um, it was around Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and a couple decided that with their kids, they were about ready to prepare the time where they might say, hey, can you write out your Christmas list? What's the thing you want? If you could put anything down for, you know, Santa or Grandpa or Grandma or whoever to get for you, uh, what would you get? And then they said, hey, before you write anything down, but first, here's what we're going to do. We need to think and pray about a couple or a family in our church right now that could use a Christmas gift more than us. So the family prayed, and a family came to mind. And they said, okay, now, before you make your list, here's the list you're making. Write down whatever you think that kid would love the most. What would make them so excited, so eager to open their Christmas gift. And then the parents went about figuring out what that couple might need as a family. So like a gas card, a grocery card, clothing, those kinds of things. So they put together this gift basket, so to speak, a little card in there that explained why they felt like God had asked them to give and uh, hoped that they would feel blessed uh, over the holidays. And then they sat a couple rows behind the family. And it was this Sunday where worship was going on and there was noise and, and I just slipped over and dropped off the package. And they're looking at it like, what is this all about? And I'm like, there's a card. Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. So they open the card and they pull it open and then they read and they just start crying. Because it was the perfect thing in the perfect moment. And they knew that they would get to go home and, and give presents to their kids and their kids would light up. And they knew that it was something that was directly given as a gift from God. And this couple sat a couple rows back and was able to watch and kind of hear them say, oh my goodness, can you believe this is happening? And they worshiped with a different kind of exuberance that morning. That's what I mean by spontaneous. 
But I think giving is also, and generosity is also structured. Last night, uh, I was able to participate in a wedding over in Hayden, Idaho. Uh, lovely affair, and uh, the couple that got married from our community, I was able to, Shannon and I do a little pre-marriage kind of preparation with them. And uh, it came to the time that we were discussing budgeting. How are you using your resources that God has entrusted to you? And uh, I remember I, I said one of the things I typically say, hey, when you're putting together your budget, think about your fixed expenses. What are your fixed expenses? Knowing that they would say, you know, well, rent or mortgage, fixed expense would be utilities, and et cetera, et cetera, right? I said, fantastic. I think, I think you missed one of the fixed expenses. And they said, I, no, I think, I mean, we looked at our sheets. I think we got them all. And I said, well, in my mind, generosity is a fixed expense. Generosity is a fixed expense, meaning that you can budget for it, you can plan for it. And kind of in the but first principle, it's like you put that in first, and then you figure out what needs need to be supplied for your own life afterwards. And they're like, well, what, what exactly would that look like? And I'm like, man, so glad you asked, because I'm prepared to tell you. So first off, it would look like you start all of your budget every time with giving. Always. So you remain open-handed. You put it on the list. You begin to ask, what does it mean for me or for us as a couple to be generous? How do we do that? How do we do it well? Because a lot of times we want our generosity to flow from our feelings. So we're like, man, oh, I feel so generous today. I'm going to give something. But oftentimes the truth is generosity flows from obedience, and then the feelings begin to come. So you start first by giving, and then all of a sudden you experience the joy of giving, and then it makes you want to give more. The feelings come secondary to the very act of giving. The second thing I suggested is to pray about it. If you really want to be open-handed, then the most open-handed way to be is to simply say, God, how much do you want me to give? And God will either give you a number, or give you a percentage, or cause you to feel as if you are supposed to give a certain amount. And I have talked to numerous couples that every year they start off their year planning by asking the question, God, what do we give? Before they ask, what do we need to spend? What do we need to save? God, what do we give? And out of the overflow of them giving, they then plan the rest. So pray about it. C.S. Lewis makes this statement. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. And he's responding to those saying a certain percentage. He said, I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I would say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. He's getting at this idea that your giving should impact you in a way that increases the generosity of others and probably means you don't get something. You, withgo, you let go of something that you wanted so bad to hold on to. 
Last part is to ask for generosity advice. Uh, it amazes me how often we ask each other for advice in almost everything. Where we should eat, what, we, what movie we should go to, what we would like to do, uh, where should we go on vacation, what should we do with this, that, or that, right? raise the kids, etc. When was the last time anyone came up to you and asked for advice on how to be generous? When was the last time you asked advice of someone else? Hey, how do I be more generous? Could you help me think through my budget? Could you help me think through ways that I could give? What are some needs that could be met? My belief is that communities of people actually inspire others to be more generous. That if we sit down with our small group and we say, hey, you guys know me well. You know my life. How can I be more generous in this season? What could I do? Do you know a need that I can meet? I guarantee good advice is going to come. I guarantee opportunities to give will be there. And I guarantee the results in that small group will mean that the infectiousness of generosity will continue to spread. Final principle is this. After he says, uh, do not fear, but first, he then says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So Elijah tells the woman not to fear, but to be generous. She is facing this most difficult of choices. And uh, perhaps you might, to yourself, think, well, was it really that hard of a choice for her? You know, like, that is probably us stripping the text of emotion. But let's just pretend for a moment that we do. And we go, you know, it couldn't have been that hard. And the reason it couldn't have been that hard is because she's actually talking to a prophet. This is a man of God, and the man of God said that, hey, don't worry, your needs will be met, don't worry, it will be supplied, right? And so you might think to yourself, man, if I had a prophet tell me that, if I had someone just say to me, hey, your needs will be met, then it's just kind of like following instructions. She just had to do it. No worry, no sweat. And if only God would just send us prophets like that. So, First uh, Timothy, as for the rich in this age, that's us, charge them, command them, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You want to take hold of that which is truly life. Be generous. Bring Malachi says, the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. This is the only time in the scriptures that God ever says, put him to the test. And what does he want us to test? Our generosity. And he says, that I, will I not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you blessing until there is no more need? Luke, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. 
Not just given to you, but good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, or the measure of generosity, it will be measured back to you. Again, implying your needs will be met as you meet the needs of others. Last but not least, there's this little woman. We don't know her name. She's not really described much other than by the title of a widow. And it says this, and she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. See, this moment is not just a moment in a story. This woman is not just a woman making this amazing statement of faith. This is a prophetic moment for the people of God. And he that has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. God, I am inspired by the life of this woman. I am inspired by people like Daryl and Leslie. I am inspired by people in this community that I know that give so generously, that meet needs on a regular basis, that find ways to bless other people. And God, I know because uh, I've been doing this for a while that usually when this message is given, that those who are generous in this space, those that are listening from home and are generous, tend to get a pain of guilt for a moment or tend to feel in some way that they could be even more generous. And that is not the word that I think your spirit wants us to hear this morning. I think your spirit wants us to hear, continue to be generous, continue to be loving, continue to give, and do that with freedom. Do not do that with guilt, do not do that with concern, but do that with freedom. And then to those of us that are in this space that are listening online that would not feel that sense of generosity or would not be compelled to be generous, God, I pray that your spirit in a unique way would remind us that we can have absolute trust in you, that every act of generosity is an act of faith, that every step we take moving toward others in generosity is responded likewise by you in meeting all of our needs. And God, I am convinced and would love to see a community that continues in its generosity in such a way that it inspires and motivates others in this space to be generous. And may this generosity radiate into our city in such a way that needs are being met, that lives are being changed, and that you continue to receive all the honor and glory. And God, thank you for your generosity to us, inviting us to the table this morning, inviting us to worship you and inviting us to hear the story of this woman. May you continue to speak to us throughout this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.